0: Org. Enjoy.
1: Hi from Cleveland, Ohio, on a cloudy January day. I'm Vanessa Hildebrand here with Professor Renee Sentiels. She is the Henry Eldridge-born professor of history at Case Western Reserve University. And we're here today to talk about her book, American Tomboys. From 1850 to 1915, published by the University of Massachusetts Press. This is not Renee's first book. She, um, in 2003, wrote Performing Mencken, Ada Isaacs Mencken, The Birth of American Celebrity. Hi, Renee. I'm so happy to be here with you. Hi, (laughs) me too. Thank you for doing this. Um, as a cultural anthropologist specializing in the health of women and infants, I find this book really fascinating and powerful, um, in, in in the way that it describes society and transition in many ways, and in, in particular, what what you're talking about is this prominent tension um, in the transition of how we think about or how. Um, people thought about the roles of women in society. And your book in particular focuses on a very interesting period of time, which I hope you'll talk about a little bit later um, between the American Civil War and World War I. Um, So to begin this conversation, I wanna start at the end of the book. And you end the book by saying, tomboys remain girls who identify with not belonging, regardless of progress or Perhaps because of progress, that never quite reaches the desired conclusion. The tomboy identity allows girls and women the pleasing paradox of being able to articulate discomfort with conformity through an easy, easily recognized yet malleable concept, a concept in fact that each girl shapes herself, and you're talking about the idea of tomboy. So why do you think we need to talk about tomboys, and who are they? So this gets back to, of course, the purpose of every historian,
0: which is to um, talk about the past through the lens of the present. So the present is what creates the questions that we bring to the past. So we need That's to talk fascinating. about... fascinating. <laughs> we need to talk about tomboys because the questions that we have about where we are now with gender and how it's constructed and how we live with it um, and... Um, we're part of society, but we also are have our internal sense of who we are and how to bring those things together.
1: Oh, that's great. Um, so building on that, what would you say is the major argument of this book?
0: So I'm looking specifically at how gender is being restructured um uh, In this period, as you said, from the Civil War to to World War I, particularly as uh, the pressures come down to youth. So in other words, this is the period where you're having um, the public school movement. You're having higher education opening for girls. You're having girls growing up with a sense beyond their own families that women are entering public life and they're going into professions. Often within their own families, they're not seeing that, but they're reading about it. And so it's really about how this gendering of youth is happening
1: as part of these shifting gender ideas in this period hmm. so um so let's move to the building on that then the contributions of this book specifically okay, so one of
0: the things that's fascinating about the tomboy is, as many of people know who study gender is that gender is a Term that most people think of as a stable thing. So, in other words, there are two genders. Um, and, and recently we've had, of course, uh, a real spate of trying to come up with I think there are, I, I don't even know how many categories of gender people have come up with. And we're very much in this idea of a spectrum of gender. But there's still lingering behind that an idea that there was a stable gender before, right? That there was mm-hmm, a binary very that was much, stable. Yeah. Right? And so that is a is a myth. I mean, really, gender is a term that has to change because it's an organizing structure for society. It's created by society. It's often believed to be given by nature or by God. But in fact, it changes according to contemporary time. So in other words, um, who owns what tools? Gender divisions of labor those change according to the needs of a time. And that's what I mean by gender changing, seemingly stable. But in fact, it has to be flexible for it to work, Mm -hmm. right? So the tomboy is an interesting term because in this sort of unstable boys do this, girls do this, this can shift around, you get this tomboy identity Mm -hmm. that essentially says that girls will always be girls. Even when they behave like boys, they will always be girls, it's the stabilizing
1: term in the midst of this unstable um, phenomenon. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's a very, it's very interesting because uh, while you're 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 describing how gender has always been a, a, a an unstable category, the the one stable factor is that there's this category of tomboy, and. Is that... Well, I think that's true. I
0: don't want to be... I mean, I do want to say that gender is... Ideas in every culture and society across the world. Gender is also tied to biology. So I'm Mm -hmm. not saying it's entirely unstable. But what I mean is what a boy and a girl is allowed to do shifts Mm -hmm. all the time. But the tomboy, because she's always... What she's doing is counterfeit. She's always doing what actually belongs to the other gender. Mm -hmm. In a sense, it lends stability. So... She might be upsetting the apple cart, but she's not really because she's just doing it as a borrower. Um, I see. Now, boys can't do this right. because masculinity is, is the, the ultimate, right? Masculinity is the thing that's, that everybody wants, supposedly. So girls can want to be like boys because masculinity is, is the highest. Preferred. Preferred, preference. exactly. But boys can't want to be like girls because that's wanting to be subordinate. Right, yeah. wanting to be the helper, right, rather than the the leader.
1: Okay, so there's no there's there's no kind of there's no more ambiguous category for for girls, I mean for boys. Well, there is, but it's not.
0: Tomboys are are beloved. Yeah, and. I mean, it's often like, ugh, she's such a tomboy was supposedly a negative thing. But even when it was used as a negative thing in like the 1880s, girls would take pride in it. They would say, ugh, you know, she says I'm such a tomboy, but in fact, you know, I'm just strong or whatever. I mean, they, they don't necessarily take it the same way. But to be called a sissy is really the, the supposed equivalent in at least late 19th century, early 20th century language. And it's never positive for boys. Right. So, it's, there's no beloved sissy figure, at least in the period I'm talking about. Maybe, maybe more in contemporary times. There's, there's, you know, maybe there's starting to be a love for the
1: sissy figure. Mm-hmm. I
0: don't know.
1: That's just fascinating. So, um, but one thing I I, I want to get to before we get too far is that is talking about is it so where is it that you get to the archival material or the data and um, to understand all these things and understand the how how people thought of and, and the cultural space for this category of tomboy and at that period of time.
0: So I would really not recommend the way I went into this project. <laughs> <laughs> so because it was crazy. I basically, I started out with this idea of as I said before there are these girls growing up in the late 19th century and I had nieces who were growing up I had these little nieces I was really close to and I was wondering like well how are they seeing the world like mm-hmm. what do they see out there and so I kept thinking well what do girls see in the late 19th century in the middle of you know the women's rights movement and abolition and you know it's the end of the civil war and it's the rise of of the cities and they're and they're reading in these story papers they're reading about these young women who are graduating from college and following their careers and voice or entertainment or you know that there's glamorous figures out there. Now they're not in their own families but they're out there in the public world. So how are they imagining themselves in this public world? And that made me start to think about this question about when is it okay for a girl to behave like a boy or to take on masculine privileges. Mm -hmm. And so then I thought well I'll do a little piece on tomboys and I'll just try to figure this out. And, of course, it was like, uh, you know, like a a knot, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it just kept pulling out um, <laughs> because I had this question. And what I discovered was, okay, so first of all, the term tomboy has been around since the 1500s. So, really? and you can just look that up in the OED. But it's used, you can even find it in 19th century American newspapers. Um, and it's until the really 1850s, I don't find it being used for girls as often as for boys in American newspapers. Usually if it's a tomboy in these stories, I found it was a boy character. So it used to refer to boisterous boys or girls and um, adult women who were promiscuous, slightly, you know, like not quite appropriate. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so what happens is by the 1850s, 60s, the t- the term within the united states really comes to mean only girls like boys are not called tomboys if you called a boy a tomboy now people would look at you like what are you talking about a tomboy is a girl um now adult women can be called tomboys but there's a sense that it's about a youthful play right
1: which is kind of interesting given that we have the category of tomcat
0: well actually that comes up tomcat so I looked I looked at this. I was trying to figure out how they're connected because there's Tom Turkey and Tom Cat, which both mean male. And so tomboy is like a male boy, but yet it's a counterfeit boy. So it's kind of a funny term. The French term for tomboy, Garçon Moquet, actually makes a lot more sense because it's a failed boy. Mm-hmm. But in the English language, it's it's a male boy. I don't know, it's a it's a it's a double boy. Um but so but you were asking about the archival stuff. So so I had this question, and I thought, well, I'm going to go to diaries and letters and try to find uh, people talking about being a tomboy. So I tried to find, and I really thought I, I wanted to stick with young women. Um, and it took me a while to even figure out the aging thing because really, counter to what we often think now, people considered young people, youth until their early 20s Mm -hmm. I mean there wasn't the sense of 18 you're an adult that's actually quite a bit later and so there was a sense that um I wanted to figure out the adolescent period and the adolescent period really stretches from like 12 to 21 essentially Mm -hmm. um and I wanted to um look for diaries of of girls and women who were writing that period and so I went to all the published diaries and I found you know I went to the Schlesinger and um the Sophia Smith Collection uh, at Smith College, the Schlesinger Collection, of course, at Harvard, um, and tried to find you know all the unpublished diaries and of course, they're wonderful books by women 's historians using diaries, so I just went through all these you know just looking 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 for these for these diaries and, and sources um, But when I was reading the literature on tomboys, because while my book is the only book that deals with the history of tomboys um, I should say that's not quite true because there's a book by um, Michelle Annabate called, um, um, I think it's called Tomboys, and it's called A Literary and Cultural History. Um, she really does more literary history than cultural history. I mean, she comes more she's from like a literature Yeah, she's coming from more of a literature background. And so her text really deals more with tomboys in cultural expression. So um, really movies and um, and fiction. And almost everything out there are tomboys. That's what it looks at. Because if you're really looking for representation of tomboys, it's easiest to find in cultural expression. Mm-hmm. Tomboys become these popular figures, mm-hmm. um, especially after Little Women comes out in 1868. I mean, they show up in Godie's Lady's book and newspaper stories um, all over the country, well before 1868 and Little Women. But with Little Women, Louisa May Alcott takes this tomboy figure and makes her far more complicated and much more alluring. Because Joe March, I don't know if you've read the book, like, are you one of the few people who hasn't? No, I know you have. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and, of course, uh, i read the book. Of course, you've read the book. I saw the movie. Um, no, she, um, she's an intellectual and she's ambitious. She's not just a girl who wants to behaves like a boy and is frustrated by the lack of freedoms of being a girl. But she actually wants to go out and fight in the war, and she wants to paddle her own canoe. That's actually a quote from the real abcott not, not Joe Marge. Um, and so um, she complicates it. And once that happens, there's a slew of tomboy books that come after that. Mm. Like It just becomes this really popular thing. So you start to see this buildup of the figure, and then it's building up in the popular press. So you start to see more and more of these tomboy stories. And unlike, I mean, one of the reasons why Little Women remains such, I think, a classic is because of the tension around Joe not wanting to marry Laurie and not wanting to marry. Um, because the classic tomboy story, of course, is that she starts out saying she wants boyish freedoms, but as soon as she meets, meets a real man, she falls in love and realizes the quiet, Heroism of women in society mm-hmm. and how they really make the whole thing work, mm-hmm. and so um, you get a lot of those stories. So, um, so, so my point is, in the archives, I started out looking at diaries and and sto- and letters. And I went to Tulane Special Collections. I went all over the country, and and then I started reading the literature on tomboys and realized I really needed to get at the cultural expression. So, I ended up doing, you know, a chapter in domestic fiction, a chapter in western fiction um but also it got me into ideas about the campfire girls and girl scouts and what does it mean to be a boy if you're if girls are supposed to are behaving like boys well what are boys behaving like what are they told to behave like um and um new women is the new woman just a grown-up version of the tomboy and so i it just kept going exponentially so i wouldn't recommend my method which is to have a question and walk into like whatever sources you can find um and so it it I use I use newspapers plays films um I only go up to 1915 in part because most of the tomboy uh, scholarship is about the 20th century and also almost all of it is about um well no I shouldn't say that The other reason is because the the film industry changes, and that's going to have a big impact on Tomboys. Oh, and I really didn't want to bring up the whole new film industry thing. Yeah, I only get as far as silent films.
1: Well, that changes the era, really. Right, it it changes everything. Oh my god! So you kind of have to stop there, and that's that's another book. You know, that's that's a whole other book,
0: and it's actually a book that other people have written parts to. Yeah. So. it, it wasn't as necessary. There was no book that got at where this term came from and why, like how it developed and mm-hmm. what the nuances were. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very clear to me right away that a lot of it had to do with um, girls for the first time being taken out of the home, going into schools, competing with boys in schools, going out into the workforce after their secondary education, or their elementary education, actually, yeah, and um, and then and then also being in worlds with boys, not under the eyes of their parents, and so they're really taken away from sort of the mother's um, protection, mm-hmm. um, and that's a whole new modern world that you can see gender reshaping within. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well. I... You know, it's a, it just that's a period where so much changed oh God, all the end, you, you wonder. I mean, gender roles and gender norms are are so much so critical to the 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 stability and the in and in the, and the touch point for so many other things in society. How we understand everything, you know, about who other people are and how society's ordered. You know, the right. organization of family and the organization of gender roles, and so. It, it It's a fascinating period. Well, I think what's important about the tomboy is that in many ways she's an imaginary figure. Mm. So because she
0: becomes this popular figure in literature, she becomes... Girls are living through fiction. I mean, mm-hmm. once women learn to read, once girls start going to school and learning to read, they take over as the writers and the readers in the American population. I mean, they are writing the stories and the story papers. They're, they're reading them. They're the major drivers of the publishing
1: industry and And, even under male um, bylines and the like, um or still using or 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 starting to more frequently use oh using their names names. for the
0: story paper so there's there's a kind of it's like a newspaper but it's fiction so it's kind of like today's television or Mm -hmm. you know it's like where people would get their stories and it gets quickly taken over by women writers and the major writers of the 19th century are Eden Southworth Fanny Fern, Harriet Beecher Stowe. And so Eden Southworth was more widely read than any other author in the 19th century, Mm -hmm. by far, by men and women and children, because her story was the cover story of the main story paper, the name of which is now escaping my my memory bank. And so there were women really, there was a very, a, a real sense For girls within their own, with their very... you know, Because most women were still... Married women with children were still at home with their children if they could be, which was certainly the middle class, which was the major uh, producers and consumers of these papers. And um, so even though in their private home they weren't seeing this, in their imaginations they're taking all kinds of different roads, different paths into the future, into their future lives. And so the tomboy becomes this really wonderful figure there's a great story it's in one of the chapters where um this girl gets like a prize-winning essay and she talks about how her favorite characters are like the tomboys because she loves to live alone with their adventures she herself is a good girl she's very careful to say and does not behave like that but she is most thrilled by those adventures and so they become these vehicles for um I could say rebellion, but it almost seems more like claiming one's own agency. Hmm. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it, it's so interesting, and I—I I mean this also into a segue into the next question. But the, it, it's interesting that you know you have this—the—the the, the consumption of these stories um, are are a way that people are talking about this category. So these story papers. Mm-hmm and and as you know in anthropological research we talk about we you know because of course we're do, we're looking at the contemporary era and and so we talk to people about you know what is it you do and then we watch people do it and then we talk to them about what they did and those things yes. are always different right but so there's this this interesting interplay between the the story is they're listening and then you, through your research you had you looked at not just those stories not just the fiction but all these other sources so you're kind of able to do that in an interesting way because you're (coughs) excuse me you're you're looking at um what the stories and then what they're saying talking about it through diaries and then and then Mm -hmm. all kinds of others so so you're able to triangulate this idea of the tomboy in a very very interesting way but that that's leading what i wanted to to lead to was um you mentioned that it's mostly middle-class white girls and, right. and people who are reading these papers. Um, and you also say in the book um, that in this era, the tomboy is white and largely middle-class. So,
0: Right. So I don't want to... Okay, so there are African-American <laughs> girls and women who are reading these story papers too, mm-hmm. but the portion of... Just in terms of proportion of the population, that's just not a very large portion of the population. Yeah. Um, because most African Americans are denied any access to to school and, let alone getting newspapers, buying that are, a newspaper that are right or... sold in urban areas, so in because most African Americans are largely ur- um, rural in these periods. So that isn't to say there aren't. Um, you know, figures like Charlotte of Fort Grimke or Ida Wells, who later, like, they love little women. Like, uh, there are lots of of African-American women who really identify with Joe March and little women. Um, Barbara Sickerman has this amazing article about this. Um, So it's it's not to say that there weren't people of color reading this, but there's this, basically, this is is so basic (laughs) that you're going to be like, well, yeah, the publishers were white. Mm. and they're selling papers to a middle-class audience that's white they assume if you're a girl or woman that means you're white so to be a girl or woman in itself means
1: white right yeah so that's not simple that's that's worth worth, no it's it's definitely worth i mean that's right
0: so so well it's important in this sense because the tomboy figure seems like this incredible figure of of liberation in many ways for modern women but if you look at the stories the tomboy stories and again this is what sets i think little women apart and actually complicates things is that no matter how much freedom and how how fun she is as a tomboy um she needs to settle down and become an adult woman Mm -hmm. and that means getting married and cheerfully taking on the yoke of motherhood and subordination And the idea is that white girls can behave in uncouth ways when they're young because they're going to grow up to be real white middle-class women. And it's almost like it's just racially there. That's what's going to happen. Whereas a black girl of color misbehaving and acting boyish, um, well, first of all, the white population doesn't see her in the same way. They're not going to call her a tomboyer. They're just Mm -hmm. going to say she's uncouth. Um, mm-hmm. Among the African-American population, we know um, Ida B. Wells' daughter, Alfreda Duster. Um, she, she said when she was young, she was called a tomboy. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the few references I have from an African-American woman saying that. And the, the problem I have with that gets to another contribution of this book, which is really, I just think, really fascinating. Which is that girls and women rarely want to call themselves tomboys in the moment. Um, they want to do so retrospectively. And this is true from the 18, literally 1880s to the present. Um, So there's this whole section of my book where uh, I talk about how, like if you go to almost every great woman biography, she starts out as a tomboy. Because, of course, she would be a tomboy if she was going to grow up to be this woman that doesn't right. just fit the mold right? Right. right and and so all these women go and they think like, no i I thought for myself I was a real tomboy, like there's a sense of rebellion that's tied to that, right yeah, so um so I think I've gone in kind of a circle here but but so the whiteness um and it's not just girls of color, it's also um immigrant girls are not seen as tomboys um.
1: Well, a lot of those the immigrant girls weren't seen as as white, <laughs> right, That's
0: true. That's true because white is being figured out. Yeah. Um, so, I guess this is it. It's really about whiteness about, is about being civilized, mm-hmm. and civilized means a particular sense of etiquette. Right. Yeah, In, you're making making air quotes that nobody can see. Um, so, but when you think about it, if you go to this, if you look at this period, and you're not looking at children, and you're not looking at tomboys. You're going, oh yeah, it's the age of Jim Crow, it's the age of eugenics. Of course, you know, these these ideas of that are being about children, marketed to children, and marketed to adults about children, are going to be all about whiteness. and And sort of, so there's a white privilege to being a tomboy. Yeah. A tomboy is allowed to behave like a boy... Because she's, I'm using like a boy in air quotes again. Yeah. Because um, she's going to outgrow it. Right. And she knows better. Her blood will tell her better. Right.
1: Her blood will tell her better.
0: Right. And so, but that's not going to be true of all those other girls. They're just going to grow up to be the same uncouth people they've been all along. So, now you don't really see tomboy. I mean, it does become a non-racialized term around the 1950s is when you it's really althea gibson is the first one who gets called publicly by the white community is called the tomboy from harlem she's a a tennis player this Mm -hmm. incredible tennis player you see if you go to like um the baltimore um i think the baltimore american right um african-american major newspaper you see or the chicago defender you see um I think I'm mixing up my newspaper names, I'm worried I'm going to get caught by historians. Um, (laughs) You see articles sort of denigrating tomboy ways in the early 20th century. So you don't see it really picked up as a positive among the African American community and used more across racial lines until the second half of the 20th century.
1: That's really interesting.
0: That actually brings me to sexuality, which yeah. should I address too, which yes. is that
1: it's often now
0: seen as a term connected with, um, it almost seems retro to say lesbianism. Um, for a long time, you know, tomboy, a lesbian was seen, but now it's almost like it doesn't necessarily have to do with sexuality at all. But that was true, uh, it, tomboy was not connected to sexuality until roughly the 1920s. Um, and then it gets more and more connected through literature and, and cultural sources um, and even diaries um, with sexuality. Um, and it's still something that people go back and forth on. Like, you know, um, well, I shouldn't say they still do, but if you, if you well, they kind of do. I think they do. Yeah. That if you're a tomboy, does that mean that you're, that
1: you're gay or straight? Or, then it opens right. a question. It opens a question. Exactly. By society. Right. Right. Why do you think all of a sudden sexuality b- becomes part of a description or a d- the, d- the definition of tomboy? Well, that's kind of an easy one because
0: around the 1920s is when Freud and all of that. I mm. mean, basically sex is the central human experience mm-hmm. is what Freud is arguing. But then there's Freud and then there's like all the people propagating Freud and doing all the different versions of Freud. And you see this in... Um, I and mean, it's really fascinating the way this plays out in even like creations of like the Campfire Girls. I mean, they're not talking about sexuality per se, but they are talking about like how do we keep girls in a uh, that's not really a sexual role. I guess I'm getting far away from sexuality. Um, there's a lot of wrestling with this that's mm-hmm. going on in around the 1920s. And so, yeah, everything becomes about sex. If you look at American, I swear, I feel like the 20th century was like a a sex-obsessed century. (laughs) And it's not like sex hasn't always been important in every century Mm -hmm. and with every human being in their own way. But it was as if no one could think about anything else. And if you go to the 19th century, I always say this to my students now, because in some ways there's so much more sexual freedom and fluidity in the 19th century often, then you even see now without the need to have all the categories. So, but it feels like in the middle is this is this I mean, we talk about it with the rise of the the American Psychiatric Association in the 18 was it 1890s mm-hmm. where they start to commodify what's considered normal and what's considered deviant. Mm-hmm. And then you get Freud and his articulations, and you get Margaret Mead and her articulations of cultural relativism, mm-hmm. and everybody's talking about sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so tomboys go from being seen as an expression of boyish freedom and joy to a desire to have a penis mm-hmm. or to be with, be in that role with another
1: girl. Yeah. So don't you at some point talk about... Um me if I'm not correct but tomboys are kind of seen as almost sexless
0: oh yeah oh yeah totally um that's actually during the period you're talking about yeah yeah. the earlier period so in all of these it just comes up in all the stories I mean it's kind of like again I keep referencing little women and and whoever listens to this if they haven't heard little women they're going to want to like strangle me by the end but she's a good because she's such a figure that so many people know um just the fact that she doesn't want to get married and she's not interested in this that's really more the way the tomboy came across in most yeah. of these stories was it's not that it's, she just didn't even think about it like she yeah. was all about her sense of fun and 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 you know pranks and hunting and fishing and, and skating and and physical fun and not at all about um totally my main just went blank
1: um about sexual interest or or reproduction oh nothing yeah exactly it's It's not about any of that thank you yeah yeah so speaking of reproduction um you you talk about in the book that there's a connection between nature and tomboy and the tomboy is seen kind of as a more natural girl. Oh, I absolutely. Think you said. Yeah. So, so part
0: of, of that's that. getting back. That's actually more of a um, as you get closer to the turn of the century. And this also ties into the campfire girls and the Girl Scouts and the turn Boy Scouts. The, century, the turn of the twentieth Okay. Twentieth century. So, um, so the, the period I'm covering. Yeah. So, um, there's a sense that. If you look at, uh, like, children's stories with tomboys around this late, like, 1880s, 1915 period, a lot of the girls are mountain girls, Mm -hmm. girls who have sort of, they're almost like half-feral. There's a sense they often have long black hair and dark snapping eyes. Mm -hmm. And actually, this is true in the dime novel westerns, too. There's often that same sort of phenotype. Um, So there's a sense that they're almost uh, and they have tan skin. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense that they're sort of Native American-esque is what it always makes me think, because there's a sense that they're one with the land and nature. And, um, and there, some of that idea that a girl takes pleasure in being in nature and, and fun and is connected to it is what, um, these organizers of, of, the scouting groups are trying to do is basically like let's take these urban youth that are losing health and they're losing the sense of what it means to be male and female and let's take them out into the woods as children and then reconnect them with their older traditional past through nature and that will make the girls more domestic and the boys more self-sufficient hmm. will, and the girls more self-sufficient but that's not the purpose the purpose is they're going to they're gonna learn to cook over a campfire and they're going to realize how interesting cooking is and they're going to build tents, and they're going to recognize how home-building is important. Hmm. Um, and there's a sense of, of, you know, that idea of bringing the youth of the urban areas
1: back to nature. Oh, yeah. To, to, to save our society. We see, see that so oh, often. yeah. If you want to save the kid or the teenager, especially. Yeah, you especially, send them to you, a farm in the summer. Yeah, you throw them yeah. into the wilderness. Yeah, exactly. You know, there are so many programs.
0: I don't know how effective
1: they are. Or I don't not, but, <laughs> but there are a this, lot of programs. This prevalent yeah, idea. and so this is
0: this but... this idea, and so there's the sense that tomboys are are just more attuned to that. So know, they'll future, tap into
1: their their natural, natural instinct. Self. Maybe
0: it's really funny though. There's a um, there's a book by Anya Jabor and she says, and it's really on um, Southern girls, and she says, and I think this is really true. What I've come to realize in this research is that there there's a much more um boys are in a smaller box um they are supposed to want to get out in the world and do all these things and be active girls if you look at their lives get to be have a much broader field Mm -hmm. they are in the home and they they're very much so but they're also active and outside and so in a way the girls do everything it's the boys who don't do everything, and so what is used to set the boys apart isn't that the boys only do part of it, but that the girls only do the other part. If that makes mm, sense? Yes. And I I see it constantly
1: in, in contemporary in this, and in too. contemporary
0: life too. Yeah. yeah. Masculinity is a, is a, um, in some ways, a much uh, more constricted, uh, and and a lot of what I deal with with this book too, that I think makes it valuable, and I would like to see someone do more work on it, is the difference between adult masculinity and boyish masculinity because Mm. what I would argue is boyish masculinity is available to girls and adult women it's adult masculinity that's not so in other words boyish masculinity is is like I said pranks and fun and out in nature and you know just kind of sloppy and um, and not caring about etiquette Um, it's not about protecting others it's not about amassing fortunes it's not about power in the public world, right? Right. And so... And yeah, girls and women are not supposed to do None that. of those things. But they yeah. can do all the boy things. Yeah. So boyish masculinity, I think, is actually significantly different than adult masculinity. Yeah. And I haven't really seen anyone really talk about that. Uh, the closest is E. Anthony Rotundo, who does some stuff on American boyhood. But that book has been out for 30-something years. And um, so I'm not sure... There's, I've seen some. There's a book on feral boyhood. There's a little bit, but there's but I haven't seen anyone really get at
1: boyish masculinity. Yeah, yet. that's fascinating. I mean, that's so true. I mean, women women in um, you know all all, all over in, in the work world are not supposed to behave as as when many of those masculine traits you know amassing fortune, talking right. about money. Um, ambition ambition uh uh what do you call that like the the brutal truth that you speak i mean then
0: you're a bitch if you're a woman and yeah. if you're a man you're just assertive right i mean that's really a kind of masculinity right
1: yeah well and kind of a related term um because they're talking mostly about adult women. Um, you know, Tomboy had a real moment in the fashion industry not too long ago. Yes, and you um, kept sending me pictures. Yes. <laughs> we kept talking about it. About 2012 to 2016, I, I was trying to remember. You know, when this was, You know, it, it didn't matter where you looked and oh my what God, catalog it was crazy. or. You know, um, Vanessa Friedman, the fashion writer in the New York Times, so it was writing about it. Um, and
0: there was all these Instagrams of like, yeah.
1: yeah. And so there's just, you know, a wide, wide array of fashion houses we're somehow mm-hmm. discussing Tomboy. Tomboy was part of the narrative in some way or another. And as an anthropologist, I always find that there's a there's a really close association between what's happening in the fashion world and, and um contemporary cultural preoccupations. So what do you what do you think was happening? Well, so I look at that and I actually think it, it comes up in other
0: periods like if you look at the 1920s I think you can see I think you can see the 1950s and I'm thinking about how like if you go to Newspapers there was like all this like tomboy fabric and tomboy shoes, and mm-hmm. you know and then there was actually like tomboy canned milk and tomboy like
1: tomboy mm. vegetables I mean there was like
0: tomboy but tomboy became connected with spiritedness right uh. and so it's about this joyful, playful spirit, but it's also what I think of as the sexy tomboy, so all that tomboy stuff no, it was really funny because you sent me pictures of like, oh God, some of it like I had no idea how it was tomboy. Like yoga wear that was tomboy, tomboy what? yoga wear. Like I like right. that. Or there was like um, I think there was one on furniture that you sent me, like the tomboy living room, and <laughs> I couldn't figure out why. And, and to me, I think they're just trying to take this very um, clean line moderns and put tomboy on it, as if it's appealing to women, um, but it's it's got that little spunk. I mean, tomboy has a cachet now. Right. Yeah. it's like spunk. But I think often of, of like the Jennifer Lawrence character and I don't mean her as a person because I really don't know her as a person, but this persona where she'll like you know be messy and eat a hamburger or like uh, be goofy, but she's sexy and she's gorgeous and mm-hmm. so she can do the pranky behavior and the tomboy and and still be and she's alluring in that way. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the tomboy, styles that came I mean it was all sexy tomboys Mm -hmm. it was all beautiful women with short hair with boyish clothes that they the toughness of it emphasized that they were female Mm -hmm. so I mean and which really does work for the tomboy term because the whole term tomboy emphasizes that the person is female right right no matter how they behave but this gets me to um, one of my favorite things is if you go to the internet and you Google um, how to dress like a tomboy or tomboy, it'll give yeah. you this wiki uh, links on, on this, this thing with little cartoons that tells you exactly how to dress if oh, you really? want to be seen as a tomboy. Yet, <laughs> and how to behave as a tomboy. And it says things like, you know, don't talk too much, you know, because boys don't say much and like, you know, only wear these colors and... Um, you can have one girlfriend, but you can't like hang out with a whole group. Like there's all this like rules for what a tom, how you can identify yourself so that people will go, she's a tomboy,
1: it, and that's a that's a wiki. So who's defining that?
0: Uh, you know, good question. I don't really know. I'd like to know who even did the drawings, and the drawings are funny too because again, they're like these sexy curvy figures and like boys. You know, like you know, sex clothes. I mean, it's kind of the same kind. Right, of, wearing jeans it's, it's and a, a t-shirt. But. but it does get at this idea of tomboy as a as an identity that you take on and take off, which is what it becomes more of, I think, by the contemporary terms. People will say back on their youth and say, "I was a tomboy," but if you look at um, like young people in college. A girl might dress more tomboy, like one day, and more girly girl the other. There's actually a great website called Tomboy Stories where these people write in their personal stories, and a lot of them will say, "Well, I'm a tomboy, but sometimes I'm a girly girl," you know, and and that it's it's not necessarily a permanent identity; it's a performance, like everything else. Hmm. And I think there's more of a a recognition because there's more of a recognition in general that gender is performed and not necessarily owned.
1: Right. And so performing for whom?
0: Yeah, that's a good question.
1: Well, for my last question, I'm wondering if um, you'd say a little bit about See what w- our time is. Um, what are, what's your next project?
0: Oh. <laughs> um, well, the next project has nothing to do. So writing this book, I used to say it was like writing a symphony. I mean, it was just like so many parts and so much going on. And after this, I was like, I just want to write pop songs. I don't want to write a symphony. (laughs) So I'm doing this book on um, trying to use basically historic shoes um, as entry points into women's history. So like these pictures of of alluring shoes and then the woman who might have worn them and what her life might have been like and what that tells us about the women in those period and what their options were. So what are the shoes of a tomboy? Well, it depends what time period mm-hmm. you're talking about. So one of the things about my book is if you look at the cover, I remember I ran across this this painting, and it's three little girls on a swing, and they're in dresses, and it said three tomboys on a swing when I found it. And I was like, what? From 1868. I was like, those aren't tomboys. And by the time I finished the book, I was like, oh, no, those were tomboys in 1868 right. because they were standing on the swing and acting out so if you look at the tomboy shoes in 1850 they're going to look like all the other shoes um but if you're talking about tomboy shoes in
1: the present you're talking about converse right like kind of retro yeah but interestingly i mean as i have an adolescent two adolescent daughters that's where what all of them wear well
0: that this is exactly the issue is why the term is so funny is because that's why people will say it's outdated, because girls just dress like boys now. But my, my son was on a, um, I write about this in the book, he was on a t-ball team. Mm-hmm. And there were all these girls playing t-ball. And I swear, there was one girl that everyone identified as a tomboy. Mm-hmm. And it was so interesting, because they were all playing t-ball, and they were all, you know, had a range of things, but there was just something about her that was more
1: boyish than the other girls. As defined by by the adults, by the uh, adults watching. sitting there, right. right, by the adults. I think if you told her, I don't
0: know what she would have said.
1: She yeah, might because, have. because been... yeah, I mean, as you talk about in the book, people don't identify themselves so often, don't identify themselves at the moment, or the girls identify as tomboys, but in retrospect. Like if,
0: yeah, but I think if it's a positive thing now, mm-hmm. and she, she might say, yeah, I'm a tomboy. Because I remember being that age and thinking, I'm a tomboy. And because I'm like, you know, I live out in the woods because we lived in rural Missouri, and I run around, and I play in mud or whatever. And <laughs> saying this to my dad, he's like, oh, my God, you are so not a tomboy. You're way too feminine. And just being like, what? Like mm-hmm. Because I think there can be a sense of I'm a tomboy because I'm, I have a good sense of self. That that's part of what being a tomboy is.
1: Yeah. And you felt you could go out and do and play anyway. And and as
0: soon as he said I wasn't, I felt demoted. Yeah. So I think it can go both ways. Then and now. And probably in the future.
1: (laughs) Well, Renee, thank you for writing thank this you. book. Thank you. This was fun. It's, oh, just thank an, you for it's, it's an amazing piece, and and um, I'm I'm assigning it to my, my sociology and anthropology class on gender, and I know that they will really enjoy it. Um, so thank you for writing it. And thank you guys for listening.